confess together our confidence in God. It's confessed in the doctrine of God's providence, Lord's Day 10 in the Heidelberg Catechism. If you go to your Psalter hymnals, page 876, we learn that God, the creator, through Christ has become our father. And when God, the almighty creator, becomes your dad, nothing can come against you and succeed. And that's the confidence of Lord's Day 10. He who controls heaven and earth and everything in them controls them for your glory. What do you understand, Lord's Day 10, by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds us with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for the future. We can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. Patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and confident for the future. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 8 where this is so clearly Taught. Romans 8. This is God's Word. We'll read verses 18 through 39 on page 1122. Romans 8. 18 through 39. All about confidence in God for our future. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, we know. We don't wonder. We know. That for those who love God, 
all things, not some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is the right hand of God and interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 31 is our text. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is God's word. May he bless us and build us by congregation. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith in God is the bedrock, the bedrock of Christianity. God is the creator. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, He brings you to God. God becomes your father. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And through faith, not just Jesus, but all of God becomes yours. And that's one of the beautiful comforts of the doctrine of providence. When all of God is yours through faith in Jesus Christ, the father who created you, Son who redeemed you, the Spirit who lives in you. What can ever come against you and win? That's God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world that we need. And that's the theme that we want to look at this afternoon from Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the victor's cry. And there's really three aspects to this statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? First, it's a a declaration of certainty. And second, it's a challenge to all our enemies. You can't. 
be against us. And thirdly, it's a call to trust. First, it's a declaration of certainty, the certainty of faith. If God is for us, who can be against us? And how important in our age and in this time of darkness, Simon, Faith, Kayla, Bethany, all of us as God's people, when it can seem like the powers of darkness and the lie of this world is, they're overwhelming and there's no way we can stand against them. To be able to grab the certainty of faith in God, to say, you know, if God is for us, none of this can overtake us. None of this can win. We're victors. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not like a a pie in the sky, sweet nothing, that life will be easy if you're a Christian. You know how in verse 35, Paul presents that sevenfold danger, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. We got all kinds of stuff coming against us. And then you know in verse 38 and 39, that list of 10 sources where all these dangers are flying at us. Death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation. Life is full of assaults. The Christian life is full of assaults. It's not that nothing can come against us, but nothing can come against us and win is the point. And we, through Christ, in us, will conquer all that does come against us. Faith's certainty. In this particular context, I want to present the seven things of Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? What things? How shall we answer these things? What things? And the answer is, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the answer to what? First, God is for us in his providence. God works all things for the good of those who love him. Whatever comes against you, dear brothers and sisters, because God loves you in Christ, he will turn it around and use it to build you up and advance Christ's kingdom. Guaranteed. So God is for us in his providence. That's the first certainty. Secondly, God is for you in election. If you believe in Jesus, you may know that's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. And if he chose you, he will never unchoose you. In fact, it's so certain that he says, if you're predestined, then you're called. If you're called, you're justified. If you're justified, you're glorified as if it's already happened. That's how guaranteed it is. That if you're chosen, you've been chosen to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You're chosen to reach glory and you will not be unchosen. That's the second certainty. The third certainty. God is for us in Christ's condemnation. We deserve to die. 
We stand condemned because of all our sins. And God in his love sent his son to us and put all our condemnation on his son. So that if we believe in Jesus Christ, the condemnation is gone and we're free. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is for us in Christ's condemnation. And our sins can never come back to destroy us, to erase our place in the kingdom. Number four, God is for us in Christ's death. Romans 8.32, if God would give up his son for you, not spare him, his best if he would give that much for you? Why would he stop from giving you anything else? If you have his son, you have everything. So he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not graciously along with his son give us all things? God is for us in Christ's death. Fifth, God is for us in Christ's intercession. That's the fifth certainty. Where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He's advocating for us at all times. He's praying for you. He's defending you. Satan accuses you. Jesus prays for you. Satan assaults you. Jesus prays for you. You have Christ defending you, interceding for you at all times. He ever lives to intercede for us. The Bible says we're never alone. The sixth certainty, God is for us in love. He's for us in his providence and his election, in Christ's condemnation, in Christ's death, in Christ's intercession. He's for us in love three times, 35, 37, and 39 We read about the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him, Christ who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is his commitment to you. Simon Peter, his commitment to you and faith and Kayla and Bethany to hold you and never let go of you. With you to the end guaranteed through Christ. His love is a steadfast love that endures forever. It's a covenant love that never gives up. And it creates an inseparable bond between God and his children. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. It's an unbreakable bond. In the seventh certainty, God is for us in his spirit. Oh, how many references there are to the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 who's the deposit living within us, guaranteeing our salvation. He lives within us to assure us that we're the children of God when we doubt. He lives within us to strengthen us and empower us to fight our sin so we don't give up and give in. He lives within us also one day to raise up our mortal bodies from the grave and make us glorious like Christ. It's a statement of certainty. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Nothing. Nobody. God is enough for you. You can have God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world. God-sized confidence in a world where you yourself struggle with sin of all kinds and doubt and trouble and worry. One of the things that struck me this morning about Pastor Pastor George's speech is that how when the guns come and the knives come and the threats come, he's afraid. I was glad to hear him say that. He was afraid. And that's why he prays. Puts his life in the Lord's hand. Says, Lord, I'm yours. I'm safe with you. You dispose of me. You dispose of things that are going on in any way you will, but it will be good. People of God, put your confidence in our God and Father who has loved us in Christ and come to live in us by the Holy Spirit. By faith in Jesus, all of God is yours. That leads to the second thing, faith's challenge. That's, That's another aspect of the statement What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the believer poking his finger in the eye of the enemy. Not to dare him, but to answer him. Calvin writes, this is not only a statement of certainty, it's an exclamation of bravery right on. Calvin writes, Paul teaches us that these words and these words, the fatherly love of God is connected to invincible courage, which overcomes all temptations. Fatherly love is connected to invincible courage in the believer that overcomes all temptations. Faith challenges every foe which assaults us and said, no matter what you throw at me, no matter what you do to me, you cannot win. God is my refuge. He defends me. He protects me. He holds me. Nothing can separate me from him. You can't either. Whatever you use to try to snatch me away, God will use to make me stronger and draw me closer. Devil, you can't win this fight. Sin, you can't win this fight. Atheism, you can't win this fight. Hinduism, you can't win this fight. Islam, you can't win this fight. Doubt, you cannot sin this fight. Temptation, you cannot win this fight. My God is my strength and my shield, Psalm 28. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Again, this is not pride, daring sin. You can't get me. Come try. That's not what it is. We flee the devil. Yeah, we resist him, but we also flee him and we run to Christ because he's too much for us. And sin's too much for us. And doubt is too much for us. Everything's really too much for us. I can't handle anything. It's surprising how weak we can be. Yet we run to the Lord and we're made strong. I love what Hebrews says 
It gives this word from Psalm 56 to, to persecuted Christians. Just say and believe, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? Yeah, the Lord is my helper, what can man do to me? How does faith challenge? Well, let me give you four examples. Faith challenges the tempter and temptations to sin. You sin, do not have power over me. He's talking to a brother this past week. He says, I so often fall into this particular sin. I've been strong now for a couple weeks, but inevitable, inevitably, I'm going to fall again. I know it's coming. I said, brother, as a believer, you don't need to say that. You shouldn't say that. You come to the Lord. You challenge your sin and you say, if God is for me, you can't be against me. And that's how faith challenges the tempter and temptations to sin. By the Spirit, we resist it. We put sin to death by running to God. Sin, you want me to speak evil of my neighbor, but I will guard my tongue. Sin, you want me to look at that woman lustfully, but I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look improperly at a woman. Sin, you want me to spend my retirement on myself, but I'm going to seek your kingdom with all my time and energy and possessions. In the strength of God, I will defy the tempter and temptation to sin. Thirdly, faith challenges doubt. Doubt tells me that when I do sin, I must not be a child of God because I'm so weak. And sin keeps accusing me. The devil keeps accusing me through my sin. But God is for me in Christ even when I fail. And he assures me that Christ's blood has covered that and Christ's spirit is sufficient to strengthen you to stand again and fight. And the spirit of adoption assures me I'm God's child. Doubt, you cannot rule over me because God is for me in Christ through the spirit. And faith challenges the lie of the enemy. The lie of our culture can seem so torrentially strong and overwhelming, like a tidal wave that just mows over everything and makes Christianity seem impossible. Again, it's so striking how quickly not just our culture, but the church the evangelical church in North America has just been swept over by the LGBTQ lie. And basically, that lie is you are gods. And you create your own identity. You are the final arbiter of truth. You decide who you are. 
Not only is that a burden no human being can bear, that just leads to the depths of depression. It's impossible for us to carry that. But it's a lie. And faith says, no. You require me to go to that event and stand in pride with you? I won't. I love you too much for that. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's another lie. It's becoming surprisingly prevalent in the evangelical church in North America. I heard Andy Stanley say it the other day. Not a trustworthy teacher. I said his name to warn you against him. Our faith, he said, doesn't stand or fall on the accuracy and inerrancy of the 66 books of the Bible. No, our faith stands or falls on a person named Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, that sounds so incredibly pious, and it is a pious fraud. It's a lie. How do we know who the real Jesus is of Nazareth? Through the scriptures, he wrote infallibly, the source of truth. And if we pit them against each other, I believe in Jesus, but not necessarily the Bible. You kill true faith. And faith challenges the lie. It says, no. No. If God is for us, you lie. You can't take over. You can't win. You can't win with me. And ultimately, you can't win with the church. God's going to win this one. That's faith, congregation. It's not a card you carry. See, here's my faith card. I have faith. You see, I'm a member of the faith club. It's a sword you wield. It's a confidence you exercise in God, in his truth. And it empowers you to run the race, to fight the good fight, and to be courageous, and to challenge everything that would come against you. And let's see, thirdly, faith leads us to consider the call. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's also a call to keep trusting in God. The danger always, congregation, is that we put our faith in faith, right? Faith doesn't put faith in faith because faith is sort of up and down. Or the danger is, I remember that well when I made public profession of faith, that I put my confidence in my public profession of faith. There, I'm powerful because I made a public profession of faith. There's no power in your profession of faith. There's no power in it. Faith rests in the power of God. Faith, a public profession of faith, is I do not rest in anything in me, but I rest in the power of God. I have a God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world so that I keep looking up to God for help and strength to stand firm in this spiritual battle. It's a note to self. God is for us who can be against us. No to self. 
where our power is. Brothers and sisters, God's power over all creation is a dangerous and a scary power if you do not trust in Jesus Christ because then you're under his wrath and he'll use all the power of creation one day to destroy you because you have rebelled against him so terribly and with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength you've hated him and loved yourself and trampled on others in order to advance yourself. And God will not let that go. Yet he loves you who are under his wrath so much that he sent his son to stand in that place so that he could become our father and be the God who's not against us, but the God who's for us. If God's against us, nothing can be for us. But if God's for us, nothing can be against us. All because of Christ who took all that was against us, made it his own and perished. And because of Jesus, everything's for us. Or God is for us and nothing can be against us. And we need to keep going back to that bedrock. Again, Psalm 56. All day long my enemies are trampling all over me. They never stop attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. For this I know, that God is for me. So brothers and sisters, God's power over all creation is a power that for us is for us when we're in Christ. And then we are convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. We're scared of the things present. We're even more scared about the things that are coming on the Western world. Doesn't matter nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, you're always safe. You're everywhere safe. You're safe in everything because he is before you. He is above you. He goes behind you and he is in you. And so he's calling us each to live by faith every day, so that we might be bold, brave by faith every day. And that gives us the confidence, whether God sends us to India, those are grisly stories this morning, gives us confidence whether we go to India or stay home. We're in the fight. We're in the war. But we're not fighting in our own strength because that's not enough. We're fighting in the strength of our God and Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give just one brief story from the early church. 
I know I've shown you this book before. It's a great book to read with your kids, Trial and Triumph, Sketches from Church History, Stories of God's Faithfulness, God's Faithfulness Making Men and Women Strong in the Day of Trouble. Here's Blandina, a story about Blandina, a young slave girl, 20 years old, in the year 175. Slave girl of the Roman Empire thrown into prison for her faith in Christ. And every day, the soldiers, the guards would take her and her fellow Christians. They would take them out into the arena for questioning. And every day, they would demand that each one reject the faith. And every day, Blandina and her fellow prisoners would say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. And then they would take them in and just beat the pulp out of them. And then do the next thing the next day. And one day when the soldiers brought her back to her cell, they beat Blandina's frail body so badly, piercing her with daggers, crushing her on the rack, a horrible instrument of torture. They beat her so badly they couldn't believe she was still alive by nighttime. And one of the soldiers asked the others, who are these Christians? They go willingly and cheerfully to their deaths. And the next day they brought her into the arena and tied her to a wooden post. And she hung there with fellow prisoners as food for animals. So these wild beasts come out and they start gnawing, pulling their bodies apart and eating them. But nobody touched Blandina. And the soldiers were angry. She was afraid. She felt so weak, and she lifted her eyes to the Lord and prayed, Father, strengthen us as we suffer for the glory of Christ. She didn't survive because she was tough. She gave herself to the Lord every time again. But her faith encouraged the other prisoners who were also hanging there. And when she was left alone, still alive, and the animals stopped... The crowds were amazed as the soldiers hauled her back to her cell. And a few days later, they brought her out again. And she and another prisoner were attacked by wild animals. She was all bruised and bloodied, but she still survived. One onlooker couldn't believe it. She looked so peaceful. She looked like she was being invited to a wedding feast, said the, uh, the onlooker. Not thrown to the beasts. And finally, her frustrated persecutors brought in a wild bull who tossed her all the way around the arena, and finally a soldier just took a sword and killed her. And then they collected the dead bodies of all those who had been killed in that recent ravage, and they refused to let family bury them, but threw them in the river. Why, asked somebody, don't you let their bodies be buried? Because they hope in the resurrection, and that's what gives them courage, and we're going to take that away from them. There it is. Faith in God and all the certainties we have in Christ. And when we know that we have an eternal home in heaven and we're going to get a new body, a purified soul, and have all the riches of the kingdom, that in God we have everything. And nothing ultimately can be against us, but whatever comes is going to bring us closer to that glory. Brothers and sisters, that confidence in God will give us courage in our time, in our culture, and in our calling. Amen.
Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that in Jesus Christ we have hope for everlasting life. How much we need that hope in our times. We're tempted to retreat. We're tempted to give up. We wonder whether all this can be real when we see darkness seem so powerful. Yet we know that the gospel has been advancing for 2,000 years and the kingdom of Christ is growing. And people are standing up for their faith because of Christ. And we pray that that may continue with us, that legacy of faith. Strengthen us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit so that we may firmly resist our enemies till finally we win the complete victory. So give us the certainty Help us to challenge all that comes against us and enable us to hear the call to keep trusting God. Amen.